bigger and bigger and bigger as you get older and older and older. Nicole uh, Gossick was in my office yesterday, and I was uh, just telling her, kind of walking her through some of the stuff I was speaking on, and she was looking in her journal, and she's like, oh, listen to this, as I was talking about the pursuit of stuff. She said, Satan likes to skew the beam. She was all excited about it. That was written in her journal. So, Satan likes to skew the view. So, if you got a view of God and you're going right there, what Satan wants to do? He wants to make that blurry. He wants to send a powerful rainstorm so you can't even see where you're going, and all of a sudden you're in that wrong lane and you're going off. That's what materialism is. He'll send that in front of you. And your generation cannot be a generation of materialism. Because if your generation becomes a generation of materialism, like most of the older generations today, we are never going to see revival come to this nation. We will never see God move like we wanted to move. Because we won't be focused on what God wants, we'll just be focused on getting what we want. Does that make sense? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life, this is out of the message, with Christ, act like it. Act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. Love that kind of message. I love it. You know, I've been so proud of our students because I think I don't think there's a whole lot of our students that pursue stuff. I mean, you've got people like uh, Nicole Gossick who who has raised and earned uh, enough money to take three of her friends that she invited to the party tree and pay for them herself. You've got other people like uh, Becca Credits who calls me out of the blue and says, "Hey, I want to pay for such and such as uh, a trip and sponsor that that person to go." I mean, these are not in the and our adults. Our adults have done great things. Several of our adults have given money to help sponsor and bring a kid along for a trip who maybe can't afford it. And, and it's awesome because you know what? They're not. They're not all about. Hey, what can I buy for myself? What can I go get at the mall? Maybe I need a new pair of shoes or new clothes. I mean, if they were all about that. If they were all about that, they wouldn't be sending students to fall retreat who they know need to be there, who they know need to hear about Jesus, who they know have a chance to accept Christ and change their life forever. Pursuit of stuff will take you off the highway real fast. Number two. Number two is routines. Routines. It's so easy to get caught up in this daily and weekly routine. It's like the grind. And before you know it, your life is taking on a characteristic of mediocrity and complacency. You guys know what mediocrity is? It's like mediocre. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like average. It's like, eh. That's just what I'm saying. Eh. Everybody go, eh. That's what it's like. Mediocrity. Complacency. Same thing. Alright, so... So routines, it's like you become more like this robot sticking to this endless schedule instead of this vibrant, life-giving individual living with purpose, driving hard after God each and every day. Routine. Don't allow yourself to get stuck in a routine. Now, now I will say this. Routines are inevitable, meaning they're going to happen. 
You've got to get into some type of routine. But don't become in such a routine where it's this, 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 this. Oh, I'm too tired. I don't feel like having emotions. This, 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 this. Oh, man, I'm already five minutes late for that prayer meeting. Man, I guess I think I'll just stay home tonight. This, 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 this. Man, do I really want to read my Bible? Uh, maybe I'll just try to listen to worship I mean, whatever the case is, you can't be so routine in your life that you cut God out of it. You can't be so routine in your life that you don't realize what God is doing around you in the here and the now. You can't be so routine in life that when you're sitting in, in geometry class or, or algebra 3 or trigonometry or whatever, how smart you guys are, you're sitting in that class and, uh, and uh, you don't realize that the person sitting beside you is hurting. Needing some answers. It's really struggling with something, but you're just stuck in your routine and you don't realize it. Routines will sideswipe you and you will be off the highway really quick. Number three. Number three is bad friendships and bad relationships. Now this is a huge off-ramp. I mean, you become who you hang around. You've heard that before, right? Well, don't blow it off. It's true. You become who you hang around. And if you have friendships that are a detriment or hindering your relationship with Christ, then you need to cancel them. You need to Jack Bauer them. You guys know who Jack Bauer is? 24? Man, you just need to cancel them. I don't mean in a bad way. I just need, don't get yourself out of that. Maybe that's a bad illustration. I don't know. Alright? So, man, if they are, if they're a negative influence on you and you find yourself continually thinking, oh, my mom and dad are not approved of this one. Hey, my friends are doing I'm going to deal with them. You know, whatever the case is. No, you need to separate yourselves from that. It's an off-ramp. You're not following Christ. Christ isn't influencing you. Christ isn't drawing you close. No, all these people over here are drawing you away. Bad friendships will give you flat tires. You will be able to go nowhere. You will be stopped dead in your tracks on your spiritual journey. But you have bad friendships and they become dragging you, dragging you down. How about relationships? Bad relationships will do the same thing. It's a relationship we're talking about boyfriend and girlfriend. They will drag you down. There's nothing faster. There's not, there is not a steeper, wider, quicker off-ramp than a relationship. You can be focused. I've seen this time and 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 time. I've seen it over and over and over again. You got like this student to sleep. That's scary. I'm sorry. I've got this student and this and this this awesome young woman or this awesome young man. And they're just they're on that super highway. And man, they're almost like leading the pack. And there's there's man, they're just flying. They're going after God as hard as they can. And all of a sudden, they go woo. You know, whatever the case is. You know, I don't know how it happens, but they do that, and all of a sudden, man, they're off the highway like that. All of a sudden, their focus that was all on God, I mean, their focus is all on that person. Whether it's a guy or a girl, and all of a sudden, man, you don't need to be in a relationship in high school. You just don't. You don't. They will take your focus off of God, and your focus will be on that person. Promise you, don't get caught up into that. It, it, will, it will take you out of the game. And you don't want to be out of the game. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18 says, How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light, think about this in terms of friendships and relationships. How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple, which you are God's temple, and idols, the objects of worship? So, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. And I will welcome you. I will be your father. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Does this mean, don't worry about your lost friends. Don't worry about those who aren't following Christ. Don't pay attention to them. Don't love on them. Don't present Christ to them. Don't, don't preach the word to them. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, don't hang around with this group of people who are dragging you down who are influencing you and taking you away from God. That's what he said. You with me? Don't go home and tell your parents, Oh, Pastor Johnson, I can't talk to any of you loser sinners over there. You know, man, that's stupid. Okay? That's not what we're saying. Alright, let's keep going. Number four. Number four is worthless hobbies and or affections. Worthless hobbies and or affections. Now as we talk about this, I'm not saying that hobbies or things that you like to do or things that you like to spend your time doing or passions that you have are sinful. I'm, not, I'm saying that when the hobbies or passions you love get in the way and steal your time and your passion away from God, they become worthless. There has to be a balance in your life, or you make, uh, or you just simply have to make God your favorite pastime. All right, you can't be so passionate about sports that your life revolves around sports that you just all of a sudden you find yourself totally neglecting God. That's an offering. You can't be so passionate, and I don't know, I don't know if I should say this or not, but my four-year-old Hudson right now, he's just got. This desire and this passion to dig up worms, which I'm okay with, and to catch butterflies. So he's running around the field at school, out, of, out, out right out here in this field, running along. I mean, the teachers are chasing him. He's running around trying to catch butterflies this afternoon when I come pick him up. He's like, no, come on! And he's running their chase. No, come back! No, come on! And he's chasing butterflies around the field. Alright? Now, maybe that's a passion of his right now. That's okay. But if that compassion, well, if that passion continues, we're going to sit down and have a talk. But if there's that, if, if, if that's just, it becomes a passion of his life, then that's going to steer him off of what God really wants him to do. Uh, I'm trying to think of another good example. Uh, I don't even know if that was a good example. I'm trying to think of another one. Uh, worthless affections, worthless hobbies. Uh, let's say you're into building model cars. Alright, I used to love to build model cars, my dad, it was fun, it was cool, uh, and you're into building model cars. But all you do, you get home from school, you build model cars, you go to bed. You get out, you go to school, you come home from school, you build model cars, you go to bed. Like, if that's all you do and you're just consumed with that, then, 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 you mean, you're just pushing God out. Or maybe it's Legos. Maybe you're just consumed with playing Legos. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're consumed with a dude. Maybe you're consumed with a guy. Maybe you're consumed with ice cream. And all you want to do is you want to eat ice cream 24-7, all the time. It's a passion of your 
life, I understand, there's, there's, I understand the struggle there. But there's just this passion, and, you know, it's just whatever it is that's taking you away from God. Whatever it is that you're just amounts of time, maybe it's Call of Duty, maybe it's some other, you know, I pick on Call of Duty a lot, but it's the only game I know. So, you know, it's just, maybe it's something like that, I don't know. But man, it just, it just takes you away, and you're playing Call of Duty 32 hours a week, you're going to school another 40 hours a week, and all of a sudden, man, there's no time left to be on the super highway, running after God, pressing into Him, saying, God, what do you want for my life? God, what are, what, put your dreams inside my heart. God, what, what do you have for me? None of that's there. Passions and hobbies. Okay? Worthless hobbies, worthless affections. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us run with the joy of the race God has set before us. Even the sin. Guys, if it's sin, naturally, it's going to derail you. It's going to take you off the super highway. It's going to be an off-ramp. If it's sin, you've got to get rid of it. I wasn't talking specifically about sin. I was talking about just passions and hobbies and those affections that you have that just steal. Now those in themselves are not bad. You can have hobbies. You can have all that. You can be passionate about sports. You can be passionate about football. You can be passionate about baseball. You can be passionate about the Tigers winning. You know, I mean, you can be passionate about all this stuff. You can be passionate about the Lions. And I was pumped. Man. I was like, come on, Lions, you can do it. You know, I was just, I was pumped last Sunday. I mean, you can be passionate about this stuff. But when those things take the place of God, that's when you, that's when you hit the offering. Let's go to uh, number five. Number five is lack of discipline. Lack of discipline. In Exodus chapter 16, you've got this, uh, you've got this whole deal going, going on. Israel has, uh, has exited Egypt. All right, Moses has led Israel out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness for about three months, and they start grumbling before God, which means they start complaining. They're complaining before God, they're complaining to Moses, We don't have any food! We don't have any food! We gotta have some food! Moses, we should have died in Egypt! Moses, we need some food! And you know, they're just grumbling, they're complaining, and uh, 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 number five is lack of discipline. So let me just read to you Exodus 16, verse 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. It was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So what had happened? They started grumbling. They started complaining. And finally God says, okay, Moses, tell them I've heard them. Tell them I'm going to provide for them. Then they have little faith. I'm going to provide for them. It's like in the morning, there will be fresh manna from heaven on the ground. They can go up, pick up as much as they need for that day. Because he's trying to teach the entire the entire uh, uh, nation of Israel dependence on him. They're trying, he's trying to get Israel to say, hey, you've got to be dependent upon me. You've got to trust me. So he's like, I want you to go out there, tell them they can pick up the, enough manna to feed them and their families for one day, and the next day I'll provide fresh manna again. That's how he was going to feed them in the desert. Moses goes and tells them, and some of them still don't listen to God, and they try to they try to collect more, they get more manna than they want, than what they need, and they try to save it, and the next morning it smells and there's maggots crawling around. Because they're not learning the lesson. They're not being disciplined to what God has spoken to them and said to them. 
So when you don't listen and you ignore what God wants or desires, it's like you... Uh, let me just read that again. So when you don't listen and ignore what God wants or desires... Uh, I have no idea what I wrote there. That just doesn't make sense to me. Proverbs 10 verse 17 says... The road to life is a disciplined life. Ignore correction and you're lost for good. The road to life is a disciplined life. Ignore correction and you're lost for good. Man, if you can't get it right, and God's got to correct you over and over and over again, and you're ignoring it, boom, that's an offering. See, man, you gotta, you got to be, you know, the people I look for in ministry, the people I look to come alongside of me, the student leaders that I look for, they've got to be teachable. They've got to be humble, and they've got to be teachable. And if you're humble, and if you're teachable, man, I can, I, can, I can get you to do just about anything. I can help you and raise your level of leadership where you can lead just about anybody. But you've got to be teachable, and you've got to be humble. Teachable, humble. Teachable, humble. You've got to have tough skin because you're going to get some constructive criticism. Sometimes, too. You're going to be disciplined. Hey, you don't do things that way. This is how you need it. To react in that situation. This is what you need to do. It's corrective. It's constructive criticism. You know, it's, it's a correction. It's, it's, it, man, if we reject discipline, man, we're going to be in a world of hurt. Whether it comes from mom, dad, aunt, uncle, youth pastor, youth leader, youth volunteer. I don't care. If we, if we just reject discipline, it's going to be an offering. It's going to take us off of that direction towards God. Last one. Number six. Number six is failures. John chapter 13, uh, verses 33 through 38 says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told you, the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new command to love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now Simon Peter asked this, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, You can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I go with you now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. So here's Peter. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, John chapter 13, so Jesus is kind of in the final stages. He's like in the Last Supper, and, and Peter's like, man, where are you going, man? I'm going to go with you. I'm ready to die for you, man. I'm like, man, I'm on this super highway. I'm following you, Jesus. Wherever you go, I'm going. You're not getting out of my sight. Man, I'm coming with you. I will die for you, Jesus. And this is Peter, and Jesus says, Peter, by tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. That night, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, he's praying there. He's, you know, he goes through that whole thing. He prays for his disciples. He prays for future believers. Uh, he prays for himself. And, and the soldiers come. to take him away to crucify him. And the soldiers come there in the middle of the night. And they have this skirmish. And Peter draws his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. And all of a sudden, Jesus just, you know, he stops the whole thing. And he picks the ear up and heals the dude's ear. Puts it back on his, on his head. Heals his ear and is taken away. But man, there, you know, Peter's on his super highway, man. He's ready. He's following Jesus. He wants to, you know, Jesus corrects Peter. He says, 
no, we're not going to do that. Those who use the sword, die by the sword, something like that, he told Peter, in Scripture. And then, just a little bit later in chapter 18, we find Jesus uh, has been taken away. We find Peter, kind of trying to follow Jesus, seeing where he's going. And there's three different cases where people ask Peter, hey, aren't you, haven't I seen you with that Jesus dude? Aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you with him? Peter's like, no, you, you have the wrong person. It's somebody else. Three times that happens between those wee, wee early morning hours and when the rooster crows, which is, which is dawn. Those, those four hours or so, every, all that takes place. Peter cuts the ear off. He's following Jesus. He's going hard after Jesus. He's not going to let go of Jesus. He wants to follow. Within that four hours, all of a sudden, off the highway, I says, I don't know Jesus. What? Who? Yeah, this is what? Three times it happens. He denies Jesus. That's a pretty big failure. That's a big failure in Jesus' eyes. Man, Jesus taught us that he never denied me. Never denied me. Never, never forsake that you know me. Man, someone came up to you. I mean, young people and adults alike have died because they've confessed their faith in Jesus Christ. In this country and in other countries of the world. Think about some of the students who've lost their lives in school shootings. Who, people with the guns and say, hey, you believe in Jesus? I'm like, yes. Luckily, it doesn't happen very often in this country. But it happens around the world all the time. Failures. Now, obviously, Jesus restored Peter. Peter became like the, the starter of the church. I mean, Peter led the church, shepherded the church, the early church. John Maxwell wrote a book called Failing Forward. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's okay to fail. You better fail forward. You better get up. You better keep running. If you find yourself getting off on those off ramps, I'm going to tell you, once you begin to sense, hey, I'm starting to veer off, I need to get back, it's going to be too late. You're going to be gone. You're not going to be able to say, oh, 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 and you're not going to be able to do that. As soon as you begin to sense it, it's already too late. You're going to be off. Here's what I'm telling you. We're all going to fail at some point. But I want you to fail for it. As disciples of Christ, disciples failed many times. But they failed for it. They may have gotten off that super highway, but right across the room was the honor, and they got right back on. That means whether it's sin, then you confess it, you get rid of it, you get it out of your life, and you get right back on that highway. If it's something that's steering you off, and you sense it, and you realize it, all of a sudden you realize it, you cut it out, you cancel it from your life, you get right back on the hall. No, right back on the highway. Fail forward. Don't fail and give up and walk away. Don't fail and fall on your face and stay down. Fail forward. You're getting off the super highway. Get back. That's what the true discipleship is. You never give up. You never give up. Like, God, I want to know more about you. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know more of you. God, I'm coming after you. We need to have that attitude all the time. 
going after God, pursuing God, relentless, going after crash. We're crashing. Like a 10,000 pound rhino. Hey, we're crashing, nothing's standing in our way. Every once in a while, we might find ourselves in one of those small springs. We get back on it. Right away. Don't waste time. Don't mess with it. Whatever got you off with it, don't mess with it. Don't play with it. Don't try to fit it in and bring it with you back on. Just get rid of it. Keep moving forward. Amen? Pray with me. Doing Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for these students. I thank you, God, that for the last two months we've been talking strictly about discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to run hard after you. And God, when I look across this room, man, I see some amazing young disciples of God. And I pray, Father, that even when those times come, those failures come, that God, man, you get them right back on that superhighway towards you. The Lord Jesus, you would lead them. God, you would like uh, guide them. That God, you would you would have the footsteps in front of them. You would create the path and they would just follow you and follow you hard. I pray, Father, that you would bless them in their pursuit of you. That God, you would reveal your mysteries to them. That God, your word would come alive to them when they read. That God, as they spend time in worship and as they're singing and as they just put the headphones in in their bed and I just just worshiping you, God, man, I pray your presence will fall on them in a powerful way, in an authentic way, in a real way. That God, they would, they would just have these realizations of your of your truth and realizations of your of your power and realizations of your might and realizations that God, you love them, cherish them, will never let them go, will never let them fall. God, the best way to live life is to live it for you. God, thank you for life. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.